0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to the Young Musician's Guide podcast. I'm your host Aaron Campbell and today I got to talk with Dr. Joel Collier. Now Joel is a Besson artist and he's also a musician with the Salvation Army. And what Joel gets to do with the Salvation Army um, is essentially he does a lot of educational stuff, but he does a lot of performing and playing. And what our conversation was about is essentially all the opportunities that are out there for younger musicians um, with the Salvation Army, either as like a side summer job at any of their camps or even like permanent career positions down the line. Now, some of them do require you to be a Salvationist, but a lot of them do not. And it was also really cool to kind of hear the history and how the Salvation Army has impacted music, uh, which was a fun conversation I have, and I'm really excited to be able to share that with you guys. But before we get into all of that mess, I do want to remind you that if you like this, if you're getting some good quality out of this podcast, please remember to like, subscribe, uh, hit comments, do all that sort of stuff to get us up in the algorithms to get more people to find us so we can grow and do bigger, better things. And if you're really liking this a great thing that you can also do is go ahead and share this with a friend and let them know what this podcast is all about and get this into their ears and I'm sure they will appreciate it I'm sure everybody knows someone who could use some uh, guide and help with their career choices in the musical world and lastly, if you do have a spare couple of bucks laying around, think about heading over to the Patreon, and everything down below, and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. If you pledge a dollar every single time I make a podcast, a dollar comes out of your bank account, which is $2 a month. That might not seem like a lot to you, but let me tell you, it is gigantic to me. So really consider becoming a patron. Um, There are also patron-specific incentives that you can see on the Patreon page as well. But that's all we've got going on today. Oh, also, I am doing a giveaway. If you are listening to this in real time, I'm doing a giveaway of a couple of stickers from Red Label Shirts. If you're interested in that, head over to the Facebook artist page that I have, uh, facebook.com akcu.com. And go watch the morning masterclass that I do on Saturdays on Instagram. And in there, I talk about how you can win a pair of stickers from Red Label Shirts. Now, if you haven't checked out Red Label Shirts, I highly suggest it. I highly suggest you go and look at some of their stuff. Some of the neatest uh, kind of band nerd apparel I've ever seen. I highly, highly suggest you guys check it out. But anyway, that's enough with all the business side of things. Let's get into our conversation with Dr. Joel Collier. But do they get, to, so So there's a little farm. Do the kids get to, like, I don't know, help upkeep with the animals and all that Not kind of so stuff?
1: Not so much. Uh, it's it's more like, uh, I mean, they get to feed the animals. They get to learn about the animals. We get a lot of city kids, so they've never even seen some of these animals.
0: That's what I was about to ask. Where, do you, where does your camp pull from?
1: Yeah, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. So we get, you know, you still get the cities like Nashville, Memphis, Louisville, um, where these kids haven't really. I mean, the rest of them live on farms. They get it, but. You still get, like Memphis kids have never seen a farm before in their life. Really?
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I remember working at, at at the camp up in West Virginia and like it was all Baltimore kids. And right. a lot of them were like, what are mosquitoes? I don't understand what's yeah, biting me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on and hanging out and having my, let me have my coffee with you this morning. Yeah. So you're at camp right now. Yep. Are you allowed to say what camp you're at?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Camp Paradise Valley.
0: And that's, and this is a strictly Salvation Army music camp or is it one of the intermingling um, ones?
1: It's so, uh, my delegates are, um, uh, the students that I have coming in are almost entirely Salvation Army kids. Um, the ones that are not Salvation Army kids are still kind of connected to the program. Um, I have two kids coming in whose mom works in the youth and music department with me, um, but my staff comes from all over, so I've got staff. I have, I think, six staff coming in from JMU. Um, I have a, a stu- staff member coming in from Asbury University, another one from University of Kentucky, and then two from Kansas. Uh, and none of them are Salvationists.
0: Gotcha. Are most of the most of the uh, campers are they involved in the Salvation Army uh, church, or or you know do they just sign up for the camp?
1: Yeah, so from my program specifically, they're um, Salvation Army kids uh, because our program is geared towards training musicians that are going to be playing on Sunday mornings. Um, So that's the whole focus of our program. So I have two different uh, groups of kids come in, actually. I have a junior conservatory that's one week long, and that's for 7-11 through year olds. Um, And so that's kind of a more introductory level, obviously, just based on their level, uh, their age, their level of playing wouldn't be as high. Uh, but then I also have a four week senior conservatory, which for 12 to 16 year olds. And then these are people who are actually already, uh, doing things uh, on Sunday mornings at the Salvation Army. So it's, uh, really training and developing the skills that they already have and already use.
0: And so do your students get to play the, cause all of those camps, they always have service on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. As a whole camp, do they get to play the service with like staff intermingled or are they all on their own or how's that work out?
1: Yeah, so um, with the junior conservatory, it's really going to be the staff that'll be doing that worship day. Uh, they'll sing a song or do something like that on it, but they're not going to be running the service. They're just not old enough to handle it yet. Uh, but for the senior conservatory, uh, over the four weeks, we will phase the staff. Out. Maybe not entirely, but we'll diminish the staff's role and increase the, the delegates' role so that by the end of the uh, four weeks, the services and the events that they're doing towards that last weekend, uh, it's really just the delegates are doing – the students are doing it with some staff assistance um, rather than it being mostly staff.
0: And the camp isn't – like, and this is kind of a blanket statement for a lot of the Salvation Army camps, but like, um, they're not all – it's not all rehearsal all day, all music theory and all that. It's not, right. it's not all that. Like, They actually get to do some camp-type things, right? What are some of the activities that you guys have at your camp?
1: Yeah. So uh, the way our normal day is set up, I actually decided to set it up kind of like a music school – Uh, for the first part of the day. So they're going to start... Well, they start with devotions after breakfast, but then after devotions, they go into uh, all of their music programs, uh, which will be their majors of band or piano, and choir, and theory class, and sight singing class, and rhythm fundamentals classes. So it's set up more like a music school because that runs until dinner. But from dinner till they go to bed that night, it is all... Camp recreation stuff. So they're getting to go to the pool. They're getting to go out on the lake, on boats. We've got a huge lake. We're situated on Dale Hollow Lake. So they're getting to go out and uh, swim in the lake, go out on boats. Uh, we do all the other you know, camp recreation stuff, sports, playing games, messy nights. Uh, so uh, they get to do a lot of those those things that they like to do. Campfire skits are all scheduled in throughout the summer
0: really cool. So there's, it's a pretty well-rounded day. How long, how long are the camps normally? Uh,
1: so, um, my camps, the junior conservatory is one week. Uh, and then senior conservatory is four weeks. Um, but, uh, there's also main camp. There's also just regular outdoor camps that are happening at the same time. Um, and those camps are each just one week cycles, so the kids will come in and out one week at a time, while my kids are sticking around for four.
0: So you keep, uh, you keep saying like your camp and my kids and all that kind of stuff. Let's keep in mind, everybody, that he's not the head runner of this entire camp, uh, right? right? You're, you're, you're just part of the music division. What's the actual title that that
1: you have? Yeah, so I'm the divisional music director for the Kentucky-Tennessee Division. So I work with the youth department. Um, the the divisional youth secretary, uh, which is right now Captain Matt Cunningham, he is in charge of the entire camp. So he and his staff run a program that involves um, a few hundred kids that are um, doing just general outdoor camps or um, some kind of youth development camps and things like that. Uh, But while they're doing that on the same property, I'm running a uh, music conservatory uh, for a smaller group of kids that are uh, set apart a little bit. We don't intermingle that much just because of our schedule being so totally different than theirs
0: and so what were your responsibilities in, in terms of setting up the camp so you, you you got you said the staff right so did you hire all of the staff
1: yeah so I have 14 staff coming in um and I I had to hire all of them uh it runs from uh you know fresh uh people that have just finished their freshman year uh up through people that are getting ready to start their doctoral program and uh are all different jobs so I have uh, a program director, who's basically my right hand man, will help me run everything. And I have uh, um, a, a, somebody that I hired to be a brass instructor. I'm really excited about that. It's John Nye, um, a good friend of mine from JMU, who just finished his master's at Cincinnati. He's going and back, is about right? to go back to JMU. Yeah, he's about to start his doctorate at JMU. Nerd. Um, yeah, in I know. I who hope. does that? That's right. I hope he's, so in he's coming. Yeah, he's coming to be my uh, brass instructor. He'll be doing a lot of the brass teaching with me. Um, But then I have, uh, because of how large the program is, I have a dean of men and women. Uh, This year I have an engaged couple who are actually really, really great musicians, so I'm excited about that. Uh, But then I have four counselors for each gender and a floater counselor. For each gender, but th- all of those counselors also serve as instructors. Maybe in a less capacity, smaller capacity than the instructor and the deans, but they will still be, you know, getting time in front of groups, getting time in front of classes, uh, so that I, so that they can develop the skills that they're learning at school too. I think of them as students here as well, obviously in a totally different capacity than the younger students that are here as delegates, but. Uh, you know, those that are here as undergraduate music and music education majors are getting invaluable experience actually standing in front of an ensemble and learning how to conduct.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, folks, I, it's, it's well and good to stand in a room or sit in a room and listen to a lecture about educational principles and properties and all that kind of stuff. But unless you're actually physically doing it, you don't get you don't get a real sense of what's going on. And so if you can teach, you know, I, I started with marching band camps and I've done one of these Salvation Army camps, but if something like this falls into your lap and you have a chance to get hands-on experience, that's invaluable whether you're getting paid for it or not. But these guys are getting paid a little bit too. Plus they get fed, yeah. they get boarded, right? I mean, yeah. they just had to get themselves and we do there. Some-
1: Right. And we do some cool. Well, we're only doing one trip, but it's just, you know, it's an opportunity to get off camp and do something as an entire group. Um, And then the big selling point, I think, with my program is I get to have a lot of cool guest artists come in. And the guest artists obviously work with the kids. That's why they're here. But they also get to work with the staff. Uh, And so they're not only getting feedback from me, which I'm sure over the course of five, six weeks over the summer would get really uh, tiresome, always hearing from the same person, but they're getting feedback from these guests that I have coming in that are professional uh, brass players that know what they're talking about and are able to give feedback, not only to the students, but also to the staff on what they're doing and maybe even get some lessons in too.
0: So what, so if it's not camp time, because um, I know that's a big, you know, that's a big preparation for something with your position. So what's going on for the rest of the year in terms of your position? Because um, you, it's a pretty big chunk, it's a pretty big size of state that you work with. Um, yeah. So what? Uh, what kind of things do you manage? What projects are you a part of for the Salvation Army?
1: Yeah. So um, I. Uh, oversee a few different things throughout the year. Uh, The first is that there are different uh, Salvation Army music programs at each local area. I mean, not necessarily every single one has a program. Some uh, used to have them and Uh, It fell off, or some just never had them, but they're getting ready to start up. But for those that have music programs, um, I provide, I help provide resources for them uh, so that they know where to look for uh, what they should be teaching their kids. Um, They know what music to buy that'll fit their ensemble, both in uh, instrumentation and in skill level. Um, uh, I'm basically helping provide resources for them and I show up just to see what they're doing and see how I can help them develop their program um, so so there's lots of different places you know uh, I I can go to one in Richmond Kentucky and then the next day you know travel down to Memphis to see what they're doing in their program down there
0: great and then are there playing responsibilities for yourself as well
1: yeah so um, not as many playing responsibilities uh i I take some upon myself because i uh that's what i do um but a lot of what i do is teaching and conducting um so i also run a a divisional music uh event i guess you would say basically once a month throughout the school year where we have lots of different ensembles so we have um we actually have uh Dance, two dance ensembles. We have uh, a theater group. We have two different level bands um, that all come out here to camp once a month, Friday, Saturday. You know, uh, once a month throughout the school year. Uh, and those are that's basically an opportunity for these kids to see each other all throughout the year and to get um, different teaching than they would get at their local area. So there, I get to conduct the top band. Um, but again, that's a conducting responsibility, not as much of a playing responsibility. And you
0: don't have, so I know you have the master's and doctorate in performance, um, and then your bachelor's is in engineering, right?
1: Music industry, yeah.
0: Industry. So you don't have a bachelor's degree in education, nope, but you're doing a crap ton of teaching. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: and, And that's not to say, and I say this just because. A lot of people get you know a performance bachelor's or some some sort of bachelor's that they end up you know not they they end up teaching way more. Um, mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to have had an education degree to be a fantastic teacher or get involved in yeah, education.
1: I, yeah, some of the best teachers I know don't have education degrees. Now it means that I I right now can't just go get a public school job because uh, I don't have you know, a teaching certification or anything like that. That's something that I could do if I decided that I wanted to. Um, But I have a lot of education experience. I've been teaching music uh, as a job since I was 14 or 15 years old. Uh, And I've had some amazing mentors along the way, too. Uh, that have helped. Plus, obviously, the graduate level degrees do a lot uh, of pedagogy uh, that have to do with teaching. That's mostly geared towards the college level. But a lot of that stuff is still applicable across the board.
0: Great. So, so why? I mean, you you, you said to yourself, you've been teaching since you were so young. Why not the music ed degree?
1: So I knew for me, uh, and this is not to say anything about it, because I, I have a lot of friends who are high school band directors or middle school band directors and absolutely love what they do but I knew already even before I went into college that that wasn't what I wanted to do um, I, I didn't want to be in a public school uh, conducting a band um, and I think it's just a little bit of my own personality uh, Influence that decision. Uh, I love teaching students of all ages. I've had some very young students. I have some adult students now, um, but I really love teaching who really want to uh, people who really want to learn. Um, and so, I like these elective type things. These kids that are in these music programs here are doing it solely because they want to do music. Uh, It's sometimes actually inconvenient for them to do these groups just because it's another thing added on top of what they're already doing in school. Um, And so the ones that are participating are the ones that are usually very serious about it. It's not at all kind of a social activity. It's a, I want to do this because I want to get good at this.
0: Awesome. So... So when you get done with your Salvation Army job at n- at night, you just go home and you're done, right? That's all you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> if only.
0: So, um, uh, so what other what other projects have you? I mean, been involved in because you do a lot of performing. I mean, you're you're a Besson artist, obviously. Um, you've commissioned a lot of works. You're writing as well. Um, your CD was fantastic. It's only been, and it hasn't been out for all that long, all things considered. Um, which, if you haven't picked it up, I'll link it down below, um, has a killer, by the way, you'll hear that second baritone. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> that second baritone player comes shining through.
0: Um, yeah. So what, so what are some of the things you're, you're involved in as a performer? Um, I mean, you've been, you've been a little bit of all all around the place here recently.
1: Yeah. So, um, I actually leave today for Atlanta uh, to play with one of the bands I play with. I play with the Salvation Army Southern Territorial Band, uh, and this is an awesome band that I get to play with three, occasionally four times a year. So it's not a whole lot. Um, we, like, we'll like we show up tonight and have a rehearsal tonight uh, and some rehearsals tomorrow, but then we're performing from tomorrow night through Sunday. Uh, so it's real quick turnaround, which is a lot of fun. Um, and that is made up of members that are... Also, Salvation Army people like me who are kind of really the, the, the best that the Southern Territory has to offer. Uh, we come from all over Texas, Oklahoma, all the way over to Maryland and Florida and everywhere in between. And um, we do get to do this a few times a year.
0: Who directs that one?
1: That's directed by Nick Simmons-Smith. Uh, he is the Territorial Music Secretary for the Salvation Army, so he's based in Atlanta. He's awesome. He actually wrote the first piece on my CD. Uh, really great guy, great composer, and I, I really enjoy sitting in his his bands uh, having him conduct. So is
0: it all Salvation Army music, or do you guys get to branch out for some other brass band things as well? Or,
1: Well, this particular band, just because of our limited schedule, um, we don't... Uh, Our repertoire is not overly large. Um, I mean, we're doing new stuff every time we get together, but it's like one or two new things. And then we have, you know, our nucleus of six, seven uh, pieces that are, you know, concert repertoire for the season. Uh, But a lot of that is actually written by members of the band. So Nick writes a lot. Um, I've written some, and uh, our, one of our tuba players, Andy Barrington, writes a lot of them. And uh, Dr. Steve Kellner, who you've met, uh, he writes a bunch of them too. Um, so a lot of stuff actually comes from within the ensemble. We also have a lot of composers that you'll know that are salvationists that actually live in our territory that write music for us as well. So people like James Kerno and Steve Bulla, both live in this territory and both write music for the band.
0: It's so interesting too. I've seen a good correlation, especially with the two you just mentioned. Um, You know, I work with a lot of middle school wind bands, down yep. here in the area and they write music for those ensembles too away from the Salvation Army just you know just writing as composers and what i've noticed and i wonder and i'm i'm not saying there is any correlation but i wonder if it's because they have so frequently had to write for more amateur musicians or younger musicians mm-hmm. that their middle school music doesn't is good yeah as opposed to a lot of stuff out there
1: yeah those two in particular uh uh they they are very, very intentional when they write their music. They just because it's uh, fewer parts or simpler parts doesn't mean that it can it can't be great music. Um, I know for a fact that uh, particularly Jim Curno, when he's writing uh, the some of the lower grade, some of the easier music, um, he says it's actually a bigger challenge to him at times because of the limitations to still make it. Uh, worth listening to but that's what he wants to do is always make music that's worth playing worth listening to
0: and it makes it makes sense there's so i mean for lack of a better word there's so much garbage down there in terms of like in florida the grade one two threes ish area three you start to get into some real literature but like there's so many seventh grade bands playing just terrible, terrible stuff and I I find that Jim and Steve's are not and they're also writing good books for young Mm -hmm. soloists and all this kind of stuff and so so and the really interesting thing too is when I go and work with these middle school bands and I see you know Kernow's name on the piece of paper I go oh he's a Salvationist and I'm so glad that I've had the experience with Salvation Army people to understand what that means and and where they're coming from because my, the, the teachers that I say that to, they go like those guys who swing the bell outside of Walmart
1: nice.
0: at, at Christmas time. And I'm like, <laughs> there's, there's so much more to it than that. So what are yeah. – I mean what are some of the, the – can we break some of the misconceptions here and kind of what the Salvation Army, especially on the music side of things, means yeah. and is?
1: Yeah. So for those of you listening that don't know, the Salvation Army is a church. That was its first intention that continues to be its main intention. Um, and it, all of the other social stuff comes from our outreach as a church. Um, and it started in England in 1865. And what was happening in England musically in 1865 was the rise in the popularity of brass bands. And the two kind of grew up together together. So uh people started, you know, the Salvation Army started using brass bands just to get attention. Um and it just became kind of part of our identity. Uh it it's a throwback to obviously Victorian England where we're coming from, but it's still uh maintained a uh such an important part of our identity that uh just like you mentioned the bells around Christmas time at the kettles, uh, the Salvation Army band is also kind of a ubiquitous image of the Salvation Army. Um, and so musically, that's kind of been the main focus. And that's why it's so brass heavy, uh, is because rather than you know an organ in a church on a Sunday morning, uh, they'll have a brass band playing the hymns and accompanying the singing. So that takes... Training that takes developing musicians to be able to have a band that can do that. You know, you're not training one organist, you're training a band of 20, 30, sometimes 40 people. Um, and so that focus on music education just grew out of the need for training our own musicians to have brass bands for our worship services.
0: So, and also, the cool thing if anybody, if you guys don't know about Brass bands or how anything works out. I mean, you can play every instrument with the same fingerings if you're reading the music too, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, that's the real advantage to treble clef. It obviously doesn't work for trombone um, because, uh, you know, slides versus valves. They don't even um, have buttons, yeah. Right. Uh, and now bass trombone is written in bass clef, um, but that's kind of a specialized instrument already. You know, just to already play trombone, you have to learn the slide stuff. And... Um, so that's really a specialized seat but literally every other valve seat in the band if you can play if you know that c is open d is one and three uh you can move all the way from b flat bass up through e flat soprano assuming your chops can handle it
0: yeah so it makes it really nice and easy and i found that a lot of salvation army people were willing and, you know, able to jump around. And they also like, because there are books you guys play out of, you know, regularly, like there's a hymn book, there's a march book, there's these kinds of things. And so like a lot of people, like normally a tenor horn player is comfortable moving over to, you know, second cornet and also knows the part already.
1: Right. Yeah. A lot of it, uh, because the hymn books are mostly laid out in soprano, alto, tenor, bass, Format. There's some additional parts, like the trombone parts, if you have a section of trombones, are sometimes these fanfare parts on top, the euphonium part is this obligato, but still, you know, the second cornet, for the most part, is playing the same part as the solo horn. They're playing the alto part. Um, And that also helps with the cohesiveness of the band, the nice warm colors of the band, just because of how much doubling is happening on different instruments. Um, But yeah, my brother is an example of one of those that'll jump around instruments as needed. Uh, He's right now the solo horn player for the uh, Princeton Brass Band, but he used to play in the horn section of the New York Staff Band as well. But uh, if you look around for photos of him in Salvation Army bands, you'll see him sitting everywhere from principal trombone to flugelhorn to second euphonium to e-flat bass he's and even percussion so he's really jumped all around the band and he's one of those that's able to do it but it helps that all of this is just all treble clef it's the same fingerings
0: and if you go and see a brass band odds are a lot of the people sitting on stage are also salvationist
1: <laughs> like yeah that's true you see that uh, like at NABA, you'll see that um if, if we were at uh, the Brass Band Championship and you just, you know, asked, hey, everybody that's a Salvationist or former Salvationist, you know, grew up in the Salvation Army, raise your hand. I'm sure it would be at least a third of the group.
0: <laughs> like, I play in, you know, a, a, a smaller known brass band down here in Tampa called the Sunshine Brass Band, or I was, I'm, I'm done with them now. Um, we're on our hiatus for the summer. But the, yep. the director and, like, all of the tenor horns are all salvationists, um, mm-hmm. and he writes for the Salvation Army, um, and all and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's you know it follow it follows you around, and once you're exposed to it once, you kind of get an idea of what it is. It's really exciting to like come up and say like, it, and they get excited too when you go. Yeah, I, I understand. I might not be a salvationist, but I understand your world and the things you've been involved in, and you know I've I've taught at your camps and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it I'm really glad for the experience. So. Let's talk about like, you know, long-term career-wise, you know, are all of the, you know, the things that you can make your bread and butter in, in the Salvation Army, are they all just for people who have grown up in the church and been a Salvationist their whole life or, you know, do they bring outside staff in?
1: Yeah. So, um, there's a couple different levels to this. I'll try to give you the most concise and best answer I can give you is, um, summer camps are basically open to anybody. Uh, if you're just looking for a summer job while you're in school, or if you're a teacher and you have your summer off and looking for something to do, um, that's open to basically everybody. Um, it's at the discretion of the divisional music director, but every single Salvation Army music conservatory I've worked at has hired, um, if we will say non-Salvationist staff. So that's the easy answer. Um, the more career type jobs like the job that i have um part of the job uh, requirement for the top level like divisional music director or territorial music secretary the director positions those do require you to be a quote uniform wearing salvationist uh but that doesn't mean you have to have grown up in it for your whole life um we have uh the divisional music director in North and South Carolina right now came to the Salvation Army. I think while he was in college was when he was first exposed to it. Um, Now there are other jobs too. So uh, the job that I just had before this was the music director for the Salvation Army in Fredericksburg, Virginia, just the one location. And while, yes, I've been a Salvationist my whole life, my predecessor in the job, uh, David Merziofsky, Uh, is a good friend of the Salvation Army and plays in the National Capital Band um, and attends the Salvation Army even without being in that job, still attends the Salvation Army most of the time. Um, But he is not a Salvationist. And another person that has held that same position in Fredericksburg, Dr. Kate Wollman, she um, came to the Salvation Army for the first time after she finished her doctorate. Um, So she was already uh, in a career path And she started working for the Salvation Army. And she actually now is a Salvationist. Um, So some people, some jobs are open to non-Salvationists. Sometimes people that take those jobs end up becoming Salvationists just because they learn really what the Salvation Army is and that church background that you talked about and the missional aspect and the music aspect. There's so much going on for people that are... uh, Particularly brass musically inclined and looking for churches.
0: So what? Um, if you kind of had to, and I know, I mean, comparable is there? Because it is Protestant, right? Yeah, yeah. So what? What kind of branch would you say it kind of aligns with the most for people to get a general understanding?
1: Yeah. So um, the biggest. It, it started as an offshoot of. Methodism. Uh, William Booth, the founder, the founder was a Methodist minister, uh, so a lot of the theology lines up most closely with uh, Methodist. Uh, it is non-denominational. Um, it, it is not the same as Methodist, that's for sure. Um, but uh, and it's actually in a lot of respects kind of become its its own denomination, which it's in an, it's in enough of the world now. You could say that. I mean, it's in hundred and twenty plus countries, so um we're everywhere so
0: so all right, so let's talk about you a little bit so have you mm-hmm. have you always thought that you were going to end up in a salvation Army gig i mean you've got you've got a performance degree though on euphonium, so it's like military band or bust in terms of that kind of stuff yeah, that's right <laughs> you know you knew you weren't going to be a teacher and and so why? So did you always think Salvation Army? Did you just kind of land there? You know what were what were you thinking in terms of like as you're getting your degrees, as you're completing your collection? You know what are you? What's going on in your mind in terms of what am I going to do for a career?
1: Well, it's changed along the way. Uh, actually, just real int- real quick. Um, before my senior year of high school, I wasn't even planning on doing music. Um. I was planning on doing architecture or some kind of engineering. Um, And then I went to Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts uh, the summer before my senior year and realized, oh, hey, maybe I am actually kind of good at this music thing. Let's give that a try. Um, But so when I was in my undergrad, when I started my undergraduate degree, I still had that military band idea uh, in my head. and actually my sophomore year I took an audition for the U S Navy band. It was the audition that Bobby Barron ended up winning. Um, but, uh, so I did have that kind of in my mind. Uh, but I had some amazing professors in my undergrad and it kind of made me realize that that was a, something that I wanted to do is to be a, a college professor. Um, and so I kind of, that's why I started on that graduate school trajectory and, uh, that never really went away. That's why I did a doctorate, right? Because <laughs> uh, why else?
0: <laughs> if you want tenure, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's right. Um, and so um, that university professor thing had always been the, the educational focus. That's why I, I went straight through school. That's why I did all those degrees. But this kind of job, the job that I have now was always in the back of my mind. Um, my biggest mentor in my life, and he's still a good mentor to me, uh, is Dr. Harold Bergmeier. And he was my divisional music director uh, when I was a kid. And my mom actually worked in his department when I was in middle school and high school. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing. Uh, I would travel with him uh, for a lot of events. But uh, I remember going into work with my mom and helping him load up the van and him saying to me, uh, if you're going to be a DMD one day, you need to know how to load a van. And I was probably 14 or 15 years old, and that kind of stuck with me. I knew that that was something that I I knew what the job was uh, because I had seen him do it, and my mom worked in the department, so I had this kind of close view of what actually went on. Um, and so I think underneath all the other goals and aspirations that I had educationally and musically, that this was something that always still appealed to me and always meant something to me, uh, because of how huge an influence in my life he was.
0: Gotcha. So, so do you, are you just kind of riding the wave and seeing what opportunities
1: like happen or? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I like this job. I don't have any plans to leave this job. Um, quickly or soon or anything like that uh i like where i am uh louisville's a great city if you ever have a chance to come by any of you if you ever have a chance to come by let me know we can you know play duets or something um but so i I have no no plans on leaving soon but i'm still pretty young um so i i don't think that this is the rest of my career um so it could be 10 15 years from now that i start Tr- really trying to go into that university world again.
0: And you're still very active as a solo performer away from the Salvation Army as well. Yeah. Organizing your own recitals and all those yeah. sorts of things too.
1: Yeah, um, I'm really excited about it. I have some cool ones coming up this year. Um, first year out of my doctorate and, you know, starting to do some cool recitals. I did Mansfield University this past year, uh, which was awesome. They actually had me back to do their Brass Band Boot Camp, um, That was a lot of fun. But like this year coming up, I'm doing uh, uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, University of Tennessee, Martin, Moorhead State University, and probably University of Louisville. Um, And so just to have this opportunity to still be in that higher education world, the university world, um, doing recitals and master classes and lessons and things like that. It's so fun going
0: back and hanging out in school. You miss it while you're there and then you realize why you're. Okay, I'm done. Uh, (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So, and 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 so you're you're jumping around, and then you've also got some composing and arranging that you're into as well. And you don't have, and I'm sorry, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but any like quote unquote like formal training in composition, correct?
1: Right. I mean, I the. Harold that I mentioned earlier who Mm -hmm. was my DMD he is a a composer I mean that is his doctorate is in music composition Uh, and I took theory lessons with him Uh, you know any of you have ever done the master theory books Uh, I finished those when I was really young and so the only way that I could get theory through middle school and high school was to take lessons with him since he had a doctorate in theory and composition um, they were very intense lessons Terrible Um, yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's right. They're very intense lessons. But so, uh, that was the closest I ever got to formal compositional training. Uh, and it was not formal in the sense of a, a university degree. It was more of a, he encouraged me to write and he was happy to take my scores and mark them up with that red pen that looked like it bled over the page. Um, So that was the closest I got to formal training was just to have somebody who was very, very good at it, willing to look at what I was doing. And I've had a few people along the way do that. Uh, Dr. Dorothy Gates up in New York, she does that for me, um, you know, mostly when I send her scores that I'm interested in having her publish, but she'll send them back to me and say, hey, check this out, check this out, maybe change this. Um, So that's the closest I've had to formal training, but it's just kind of been uh, something that I enjoy doing.
0: And you do. I mean, a lot of your stuff has gotten published and featured in like recordings and all that kind of stuff. And it it reminds me of that way, it feels way back now, but the first episode of this podcast, uh, Tyler Klein came on and I asked him, you know, why composition? And he said, well, imagine a world where the only people who wrote were authors. Right. And. You know, so a lot and a lot of people will go, you know, I don't have, you know, I have my base theory or whatever. So, but I'm, you know, they, they hold back because of that, you know, that, the level of education that they've received. Yeah. Uh, no,
1: no. If you if you have something in your head, write it down. Um, that's the thing is, you know, I look back at some of my compositions that I wrote when I first started. Actually, I look at some of my compositions that I started writing a year ago, and I think, what the heck was I doing? But it was still good to get it on the paper. And not everything's going to be a gem. So a lot of it will never see the light of day. But the exercise of getting it on paper means eventually something will be something that you like.
0: Awesome. And so, I mean, so you're, you've, you've kind of got your, your fingers dipped in almost everything involved in classical in classical music right now um, are you so are you writing just for brass band stuff or is it you' doing some string stuff or anything like anything interesting outside of the norm for a euphonium player?
1: Yeah well just because of the nature of who plays my music uh, a, a lot of it is brass music um, whether it's brass and piano or whether it's brass band or sometimes you know brass quintet, brass sextet uh, a lot of it is brass music but that's just because that's who I have to play. Um, But I've also written a number of choral pieces. My first piece I ever got published was actually a two-part children's choral piece. Um, And so uh, I write a lot of that, just again from my background as a singer in choirs for the Salvation Army. Um, But I have branched out, and I have written a few other things uh, that I've— have been really, really cool to do. I've done the soundtracks for uh, a couple uh, short films, and so I got to create my ensembles for those um, using woodwinds and strings and other things that I pretend I know anything about. (laughs) Um, And uh, I also get to do a lot of stuff for, uh, if you will, like those that are in the church world, contemporary... uh, Contemporary bands So You know Doing rhythm section stuff Really And that's like the, uh, That's like
0: this stuff When You turn on You know The radio Typically Nowadays right. And go to the Christian rock station That This is what you're Talking about What you would hear
1: Right Right. And so I've done some actual songwriting in that world, um, and but really what I do is mostly arranging for that. And uh, that's a lot of fun. I got to do one of the coolest projects I ever got to do as a writer was um, my brother and I, my twin brother Jason and I were hired to um, arrange all of the music for a musical that was opening uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania a few years ago called The Centurion. And um, it was using these uh, like Christian praise and worship songs. Uh, but obviously, there's so much variety there. It, there was no continuity in those songs. So we got to take these songs and turn them into songs that actually fit a Broadway-style stage performance. Uh, and that was awesome, getting to do those rhythm charts and choir charts and things like that.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. So you gave me a, a couple resources that were inspirational to you. Um, do you want to talk about those a little bit
1: um, for the yeah, audience, so, and I'll link them below. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two links. Uh, really, uh, the first one is uh, the New York Staff Band. Uh, that's another. That's a Salvation Army group. That uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, and uh, which is in the eastern territory of the Salvation Army, and the New York Staff Band is the feature brass band for the salvation army in the eastern territory and a lot of amazing people have been uh in that band have been mentors to me uh currently playing in the band is uh aaron vander and he's a uh euphonium player he was a big mentor uh as i was in high school um he would uh, be the section leader for bands that I would play at when I would go to music camps or other events like that. He was always that, that person sitting in the section saying, no, no, this is how you do it. Um, and willing to take uh, time with me to do some lessons about really just shaping, uh, playing, um, particularly lyrically. He has this amazing, amazing sound uh, that I always wanted to play Uh, like him and so he's still playing in that band and uh, if you check out their website you'll see a bunch of their recordings he's featured as soloist um so really really great guy and uh really really great uh band so i also have a link for um the international staff band they uh it's the same kind of group except for they're based in london but they are considered the Band of the Salvation Army, uh, they're the model of what a Salvation Army band should sound like. Uh, and another amazing euphonium soloist there is uh, uh, Derek Kane, and you can check him out on their website too. He has been the euphonium, the principal euphonium in that band for uh, longer than I've been alive. I think it's I think it's forty years. He's been the principal euphonium in that band, um, and so just listening to those recordings and uh, getting to meet him and hear that band live. um, I've gotten to know him pretty well over the years and listening to what he does, not only as a soloist, but literally just sitting in that seat, the principal euphonium seat is uh, created this model for me of what that's supposed to sound like. um, And the way that that music is supposed to be played.
0: Awesome. Thanks, sir. And that's, it's really cool. It's so weird to me. All right, so I mean, Joel and I go back what? Like 4 years now, something like that. Yeah, it's been a, been a while. Yeah, and it's it's so cool. I mean, I spent a lot of time he and I were both graduate assistants at JMU at the same time and it was it's so interesting to, you know, do these, you know, quote-unquote interviews and Know so much about the person, and then learn so much more about the person through the course of the conversation. Um, which is, always, which is it's always really fun, and like, I just want I have to share this story. So, just talking about like salvation. <laughs> okay. So he's talking to me at a salvation. He we're, he's at a Salvation Army camp right now. We literally yeah. met because I was coming up from Georgia, and he needed he didn't have a car at the time, so I picked him up. In the middle of nowhere, what North Carolina?
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. And,
0: and so we had like a six-hour car ride back up to Harrisonburg, and I didn't know I, you know, like many of you probably, I, I didn't know anything about the Salvation Army. I didn't know anything about brass bands, really, um, or any history thereof. And he, we just sat in the car, and he shared. All of those things, and I learned so much about about what this is. As many of you are probably are now, and it's you know I can't think of a better source to kind of get this wealth of information, but in a in a practical language and understanding, and also somebody who's just ridiculously passionate about all the things that they're involved in. So uh, thank you for that, and thank you for sharing that on this episode. I really appreciate you coming in. Do you have um you have any more any advice for anybody who you know? it's thinking about doing any of the things that you might be involved in or trying to help. I mean, picking a career in music. Is so difficult. Oh now. Yes. <laughs> um, partially because we're told that there's nothing you can do. And partially because there's a lot you can do. Um, That's right. So do you have any advice for anybody trying to make their way up in the music world?
1: Um, recognize that connections can come from anywhere. Um, you never know who you're going to meet along the way that is going to be able to offer you a job later. And it's not just in the music world. Um, uh, one of the people that works in the department with me, in the youth department with me, is somebody that I met once at some event more than 10 years ago, uh, and he sat on the committee to interview me for this job. So. Pay attention to how you treat people uh, and recognize that those con- connections can come from anywhere. But the um, other thing is be intentional about making connections. Uh, I get emails or phone calls from people all the time that are just interested in um, mu- uh, in music jobs, yes, but also just uh, development uh, in music, uh, whether it's on their instrument or just um, – learning how to be a better teacher or conductor or things like that. Uh, And those connections uh, become really important. Like when I'm looking to hire summer staff next year, uh, some of those people that have already contacted me just saying, hey, I'm just looking for opportunities. Well, guess who I'm going to write to first and say, hey, I need to hire staff. Um, So be intentional about making connections too. It doesn't always have to be, about careers um sometimes just a connection for a lesson or sometimes just a connection for somebody to play in a quintet can turn into jobs
0: and yep yep (laughs) and don't be a jerk yeah that's pretty much it yeah that's (laughs) that's that's the big one that's a that's a huge one don't be a jerk hey man hey thank you so much for coming on um especially in such short notice i i literally texted him like days ago uh and said hey can you do this and so i've been trying to get him on the show for a while and i finally found a good spot for him hey joel thank you so much for coming on and hanging out this morning hey everybody this is the young musician's guide podcast i'm your host aaron campbell today we got to hang out with dr joel collier
1: reminding you always be happy but never satisfied